Welcome to Residential Real Estate, a podcast program presented by the Residential Real Estate Council. The Residential Real Estate Council, formerly known as the Council of Residential Specialists, is the leading education, membership, and networking organization for residential realtors with more than 33,000 of the top real estate professionals in the United States and overseas as members. It awards the CRS designation to experienced realtors who have completed advanced training and demonstrated outstanding professional achievement in residential real estate. Residential Real Estate Podcast offers interviews with advice from top agents and brokers about timely and relevant real estate topics. You can find us on SoundCloud and Apple Podcasts and or however else you listen to uh, your podcasts. So make sure you subscribe so you don't miss an episode. You can find more information about membership, education, and designation on our website, crs.com. I'm your host, Susan Swartz, with RRC, and today we are talking with G. Dunstan about dominating your low inventory listing market. G. is going to be presenting an RRC webinar on January 31st at 1 p.m., of the same topic, dominating your low inventory listing market. So I want to welcome G. Thank you for being a guest today. Oh, it's my pleasure, Susan. Thank you. So, G, you have been a certified instructor for Residential Real Estate Council for over 25 years and actually served as our 2001 president. And the teacher in addition to teaching RRC courses, you also are president of G. Dunstan Seminars, Inc. And impressively, you've taught in all 50 states and as far as way as Chile, New Zealand, and Australia, and trained over 90,000 agents. Oh, my goodness. And you're also a noted author of several books. And currently, G. is an associate broker with Long and Foster in Salisbury and Ocean City, Maryland, and has helped more than 3,000 families achieve the American dream of home ownership. So that's a really impressive background. And I have a quick question, G. How did you get started in real estate to begin with? Actually, it piqued my interest when a roommate of mine in college, we both came across a uh, obtaining a little bit of money, and uh, we had both been on the beach patrol in Ocean City, Maryland, and we decided that, that you know, one winter that we would go to uh, down to the beach and see if we could buy a beach house. <laughs> and so uh, <laughs> we bought a house for $15,000, financed by a farmer, because we didn't have jobs, we were still in college, <laughs> uh, and fixed it up. And, and within uh, two years, we flipped it uh for $22,000 and bought a, uh, uh, an apartment building, <laughs> and uh, and that really got me interested. I was actually working for Procter & Gamble for then, and I decided that I was going to leave them and, and go to the beach and um, and sell houses. <laughs> so that's how it worked. <laughs> wow. Well, what I think is really interesting about the topic that we're going to be talking about is that According to many industry leaders, the real estate industry is on the cusp of one of the biggest housing shortages crisis in decades. And different than some of these uh, shortages in the past, this could possibly last six to ten years. So I guess I wanted to ask you, why do you think this is happening? 
Well, I think it's a combination of things all converging at the same time, Susan. One, in the last six years, there's been, on average, each year, two million family formations, which is double what it was in the uh, 19, uh, you know, in the uh, 1990s, as well as in the first 10 years of 2000. And so there's more and more people that are are going to need housing for their families and a conversion of bigger families at the same combination. Another thing is that the new home industry has not been building as many homes over the last 10 years as the result of when everything crashed in 2006, 7, and 8, depending upon where you were. And so their inventory has been lower than it has been on the residential side. And as a result of that, there's been a shortage. And then those builders that are now increasing their volume and trying to step up have uh, are shying away from starter homes, first-time home buy, uh, where we've got a huge number of people that want to get into home ownership that haven't uh, because of all the regulations, the additional time to get communities uh, built, the infrastructure in, and the additional costs for all of the infrastructure being paid on, to, passed on to the uh, builders as well as the cost of the land. They're reluctant to build a house for $150,000 for some young couple when, in fact, they can put a two hundred or $350,000 house on that same piece of property. And so a smaller and smaller percentage of new homes coming into the marketplace are targeted to a lot of these folks. So it creates a domino effect. So then you don't have the first-time home buyers who want to uh, are, who are going in, and then the con- uh, the consequence is that so that that creates a stress. So we don't have as much inventory to meet that demand. We also have uh, at, at the same uh, time uh, a very very high percentage of baby boomers who had been planning to move or downsize in uh, the last five years that are now coming into that time. And they're looking around and saying, I can't find what I want uh, to downsize. And so I think I'll just stay in the community or the neighborhood that I'm in right now. Uh, And so that has an impact. And in fact, it's estimated that that's going to take a minimum of six to 800,000 houses that we normally would get on the market, not on the market. And then we also have Gen X. Uh, simultaneously to that, who uh, are not moving uh, as well because they're looking again. I don't have the choices that I'm looking for uh, as the first time. I have a, I'm a first time or a second time homeowner now. I want to move up. I can't see what I what out there that I want, and I also have a low interest rate. So I'm going to stay where I am now for another five years or more, and we may uh, put an addition on the house or remodel the house instead of putting that on the market. So when you look at this, and I don't want to – it's a poor choice of words, a perfect storm, but that's basically what's happening. 
And so if we say we're losing hundreds of tens of thousands of people in this group, we're losing a half a million people uh, homes in this group, all of a sudden this thing looks gets worse and worse. And so it's something that's really not going to go away. And the scary part is that I think that an overwhelming majority of people in the real estate industry really don't understand it. Yeah, well, what you painted is, I think, a very good analysis of where we are. And I guess one of my questions is, is how is this really impacting or, you know, what kind of trends are you seeing how this is affecting selling and buying in a low inventory market? So, like, for example, why does it seem like it's more difficult to find homeowners who will consider selling their home and convince them that a reasonable commission is justified and deserved? Well, it's another good question. You know, what what people need to understand is that, and there's confusion in in this particular fact, and it's probably one of the few things that the National Home Builders Association, the National uh, uh, Home Builders Association, uh, NAR, uh, as well as uh, the American Institute of Appraisers, they all three organizations agree that a balanced market or a neutral market is an inventory of roughly um, six to seven months supply. And that's the way it's been, and that's been the benchmark for the last 40 years. If we look right now statistically uh, of what the inventory is on a national basis, the average days on market for people is less than 45 days. So that means we have an inventory of less than two months. And so what does that mean and how does that transcend? It means that we're in a seller's market, and we're in a seller's market to the point that those sellers who are choosing to sell are not going to negotiate. They are uh, are, are not going to make concessions. So they're in a much, much stronger place. And in many cases, just like Northern Virginia, for example, there's a lot of people that need housing, and they're panicking. And those people who have money are in bidding wars getting to buy that townhouse. I have a friend of mine who's with a company in Northern Virginia in the Arlington area that put a house on the market. And in 48 hours, they had 17 contract offers, all of which were more than what the people were asking. Uh, and a third of them were cash buyers. So so that creates that much more of a stress level. And then what their sellers are saying is, I've got multiple agents that would like to sell my house. So now they're making much, much more demands. And typically what happens when we get into this type of a, an environment is now they want to give the agents uh, a, I call it a commissionectomy. And so they're looking at people to say, well, maybe I ought to try to sell it myself or I'll select you if you take X percentage off of what the commission percentage is that you want, which then just makes this thing get even more of of a difficult situation where people can't, uh, can't justify all the things that they may need to do, even though the time to sell it is compressed, there's more stress and more strain, not necessarily on finding buyers for the seller, but being able to successfully negotiate to get your seller 
the best position that they could be in or the buyer's agents who have the buyer and making sure that they are not uh, – they're, they're in the game, so to speak. Uh, and so it's very – it's a very, very stressful time for all parties concerned. Yeah. And one of the things I actually was going to ask you, which you just touched about, was about how low inventory leads to bidding um, wars. And I know that it, especially in certain types or certain places in the country, especially like Seattle, for example – it's very difficult to get a home. My sister actually lives there, and what she paid for a house there, it, it was incredible for what, you know, the, the type of house. I think she ended up paying over $1.5 or $6 million, and it's like a little bungalow <laughs> that right. would probably right. be a lot less in another part of the country. Um, well, so, and then you have problems with the appraisals. So the people who are financing in the high end or even in the markets where the, the average days on market is less than 30, uh, you may – to have a contingency on financing or to have a contingency on the appraisal uh, needs to be taken off the uh, off the table, which then again creates that much more stress on, on folks. And, and, of course, we're seeing as the side effect of this, Susan – is that they're building more and more apartments, uh, and you're seeing the millennial group uh, are saying, you know, maybe we're we're may or may not decide to buy a house at all. Maybe uh, uh, living in apartments uh, or renting from somebody else might be the best fix for us, and so that's now pushing all the people who need housing getting into apartments, and I think, and, and I don't know this exactly, I can't remember, I don't have it in front of me, but I think in the last three years, in many places in the United States, the cost of renting has increased as much as 35% over what it was, which exceeds the cost uh, for the tenant to pay than what they would have three years ago been able to pay in getting uh, are getting a, a house that had the same square footage or slightly more. Wow. Well, in all of this, um, I guess a question is how um, how is a low inventory market, market trend, how does this present an opportunity for real estate agents? Well, it presents an opportunity for real estate agents because uh, here's just a couple simple things. Number one, our industry has not been consumer centric for 50 years. You know, and and I don't mean that to be mean spirited or anything, but that's just a fact. We have, as an industry, been reluctant to meet the demands of what the seller has had, and so we've been in a situation of perhaps more self-serving, reluctant to give information battled with all of that with not giving up access to the MLS, not uh, going after and meeting the demand or request of the community to say, now that I have access to the properties, can you tell me what the houses are really worth? We were reluctant to do that, and now we have the Zillows and the Trulias and all these other things out there to compete. But what's important today is this low inventory, those who understand it, those who get really organized better are going to be the one, are going to be the big winners, and so 
it's not just today understanding what the inventory is and having all the information about the inventory and positioning the house, understanding what the market will pay or what they think, but it's also being able to be in a position to sell the community because people are looking at what community. The communities are competing against each other as well as the houses that are for sale. And when there's a shortage of inventory, the competition is in a, a, a wider geographic area. So what the agents have to do is to be much, much more consumer-centric. They need to let the people understand that we also are very, very knowledgeable about not only what to live into but where to live and be able to do that, and then to be able to put their client in a better position to negotiate from strength when they're representing the seller. And the same thing holds true then on the buyer side with the buyer's agents, those who specializing in the buyers. Being able to educate them and put their their uh, their client or future client in the best possible position to be able to be the one out of 17 offers that gets it <laughs> because or being able to tenderize the possibility that they may lose out on the first house or second house or third house if they don't get organized the way that they should. So we're now having to become a better educator and a better negotiator uh, as well as a marketer than we ever have probably in the last 25 years. Yeah, well, I know in um, your upcoming webinar, one of the things you're going to touch about touch upon is the different strategies that realtors can use to help make the seller a partner in the process. And I wanted to ask you, why is this important? Well, I think it's extremely important because there's uh, <clears throat> there's opportunities out here, but the generation of of realtors that we have there's a smaller and smaller percentage that are being successful. And so there's a lot of people right now that may, without making some changes in their strategies, are going to have less success, and their, com their companies may also suffer for the same thing. And so I think skills and being able to uh, understand and not be attached to the outcome it's going to be a big part of the strategy that we talk about. It's also important that we, when we get a chance to get to bat and there's less chances to get to bat, you better be the one who can hit the ball. And so that's what uh, – and establishing yourself as someone in the sphere of influence that that client succeeds in, that they go out and help you help those people because you were superior – and what you did for the seller, or you were superior in what you did for the uh, for the buyer. And so understanding and reevaluating what we're saying, how we're saying it, what we're delivering it, and the timing of the information that we share with our customers and clients is different for those who are doing it and succeeding right now than what we've been taught in the last 25 years. So it's almost a makeover of how we're approaching things and how we're coaching and counseling. And as you alluded to a few moments ago, truly making you the client and the agent a partner in the process. 
And we'll get into that in detail and give specific methods as well as strategies that are proven to work in this type of uh, crisis time that we're entering into at this point. Yeah, well, that makes me um, think if you could give me an example of what do you think is the biggest mistake realtors make in a low inventory market? Well, I think it when if it comes to uh well, I think overall it's not working your sphere of influence, not having discipline and time blocking to spend a certain amount of time generating leads and connections and networking. And people are saying, well, there's not enough inventory or uh, I don't think my client could get the house anyway. And there's a, agents are looking for excuses to sit on the sideline, uh, and then be, it becomes a self-professed uh, reality. And I'm not getting any business. I'm not getting any leads. I'm not getting any listings. I'm not getting any buyer offers because they're actually not doing what they need to do, and that is networking, which is number one. And so I think that that's that's without a doubt why we're now looking, according to Stefan Swanepoel, who does a lot of uh, research for NAR and publishes a number amount of updated information with the research that he does each and every year, it's less than 10% of the real estate population, and they're accounting for 90% of the business now. So, So that's a big part of it. And then it's being able to, like I said, build your skills and build your education so that you are in front of your clients and being able to uh, build the trust that that they deserve with you and not be able to uh, uh, fall down on it. And so the methods of doing that are most important. Some of the behavior patterns that we've been taught uh, will fly in the seat of the pants of the agent, uh, one of which is, a high, high, high percentage of real estate agents when they go on a on a listing uh, presentation, which I think the word listing should be taken out of a vocabulary and replaced with the word marketing. Um, I think it's a marketing consultation. I think most agents are reluctant to share what the price is until the end, when in fact the client wants to hear that first. So all of a sudden we're in an adversarial position and and we get into great detail on all of that <clears throat> on both working on the buyer side as well as the seller side to to ch- make some changes but perhaps they've never thought about before yeah so this has just been really um great information that you've shared um so i really want to thank uh you for being today's guest on our program well susan it's my pleasure and i hope perhaps we can plant some seeds for some of uh, our listeners and I um, hope some of those people will block the time uh, to give up a, basically an hour uh, on uh, the end of the um, month here for our uh, webinar. I guarantee you that they will be leaving with some things that they can go out and begin to implement without having to spend a lot of extra uh, any money uh, or uh, find out by changing some of their behavior uh, uh, with slight changes. We're not looking for 180-degree turns. 
we're looking at maybe one or two degree differences could make all the difference in the world in having a great next 44 years of real estate, knowing we're going to have a shortage of inventory or perhaps not uh, uh, being able to meet all of the requirements financially that they need by not being in that position. Well, I want to remind our listeners that if they want to continue this conversation and learn more about the strategies worth considering, that they should register for G's webinar, Dominating Your Low Inventory Listing Market. It's being presented January 31st at 1 p.m. Central Standard Time on the Residential Real Estate Council's website, crs.com. And with our webinars, you receive access to the recording of the live webinar on demand, a PDF of the slides, an audio MP3 file, and if you attend the webinar live, the opportunity to ask questions before and during the live webinar. To register for this and learn more about other classes RRC offers, please visit us on our website, crs.com. And thank you, and please follow us or subscribe to the Residential Real Estate Podcast on SoundCloud or iTunes or wherever you find your podcast. Thank you.